0: Hello Paceliners, Michael Houghton here, aka Hottie. How you doing? I am getting some gas. Yes, even a Paceliner has to drive. And that means we have to fill up our gas tank once in a while. And I'm doing so at uh, a popular spot. Not so much to get gas, because it's a little expensive here. I'm at 26th in San Vicente, in the heart of Brentwood and uh, this corner is where a lot of my mountain bike rides start and end and there's a good reason for that because this 76 station in addition to having fuel also has a convenience store where it's a great place to get a cold drink after your very hot ride and today was a hot one it was hundred and something degrees at the top of uh, dirt Mulholland where i rode today but there's another reason I like this particular 76 station, because they have this, that, my friend, is compressed air. And today it bailed me out, it, and something I always carry with me on every ride. We'll tell you about it on this episode of The Pace Line. Enjoy the show, everyone.
1: PaceLine, the podcast on two wheels, Patrick, Hottie, and me, Fatty. This is show number 82 of the official podcast of Red Kite Prayer. Guys, you know what an 82 is on a scale of 1 to 100?
2: Pretty it's good. It's B-. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that is what I am shooting for today, guys. This is going to be our best B- minus episode ever.
2: <laughs> Hooray.
1: Hey, the prop of all has not quite worn off yet. I had a colonoscopy cut <laughs> today, guys. You had today, oh, you're not right? joking.
2: Oh, oh, gosh.
1: No, I'm dead serious. I, I had a colonoscopy today. And it, what is weird, this is how small the uh, the town is or how, what a small world it is. So I'm laying on my side, right? And they haven't they haven't done the anesthesia yet or anything, but they've done everything but. <laughs> uh, you know, emphasis and italics on but. Is that with um, one T or two? Th- so the doctor comes in and he's like, hey, I understand you can give me tips on how to get into Leadville.
2: (laughs) There we go. Our first Leadville mention of the day, folks. (laughs)
1: Uh, It won't be the last, I promise. Uh, We got an interview coming up in this episode with Dave Zabriskie and Floyd Landis. It's a fun one. You'll want to stay tuned to segment two for that. But, you know, It is it is a little bit weird that uh, my wife has worked in this hospital for twenty years, right? So she knows everyone there, and we're doing this. You know, she she's my designated driver because I'm really not allowed to drive for twelve hours after uh, you know the medication and whatnot, and she's walking with me there to the endoscopy area, and everyone is stopping her. Hey, how come you're not in scrubs today? What's going on? And she's like, oh, I'm just with my hubby. He's going up to get a colonoscopy. And I am thinking, never have I wanted the HIPAA rules to apply (laughs) (laughs) more than I do right at this second. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, yeah. Anyway, it went fine. No polyps. I'm golden till age 60, at which time I get to go do that again. But, you know, I, uh, I'm happy pretty, everything went well for myself.
0: I'm pretty amazed you're even here. When I had mine, I was like, I was wiped out for the entire day. Like you, I think you hit the Waffle House on the way home, right? I went to a place uh, called Waffle Love. Um,
1: it's <laughs> a, it is a, it started out as a food truck. It actually took, it took, did really well in the food truck wars. I'm I'm way tangenting here, but it's very popular. They do amazing waffles, chicken and waffles. Oh man. I it had been a while since I w- had eaten and these are always good, but oh, best chicken and waffles I've ever had in my life. Just yeah, well, fantastic.
0: After after the process of a colonoscopy, anything tastes good because you are just so hungry afterwards. Oh, they, yeah. they just drain you of any any bit of nutrient you might have in your body. You're just starving. And then you're tired. So congrats to you for even being here in the first place.
1: (laughs) I feel fantastic. After this, uh, after we record, I'm actually going to go on a ride. So, um, yeah, everything's just fine. And I'm happy, uh, relieved. Uh, You know, cancer is a major buggle-boo in my brain. And so knowing that I am, uh, you know, absolutely clear and fine as far as this goes, whew, I'm just happy. And I'm perfectly comfortable apparently with talking about it on a podcast
2: apparently now i'm because, really not looking forward to getting mine yeah
1: no it's, it's it was not a big deal i mean the prep for it is eh, uncomfortable to say the least but you know that's just the way it is and you know you get it over with and your life goes on and maybe you'll meet a new friend while you're <laughs> laying on your side <laughs> with the propofol fall about to kick in Oh, mercy. Uh, can we talk about something else? Please, please. <laughs> please yes. Please, for, for the love of all that's good in the world, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about The Punisher. Mm. Uh, not the not the upcoming Netflix series, but an uh, inaugural ride uh, slash race that I did last weekend. This was an in- interesting one. Um, a 115-mile uh, ride, the first... Uh, first you go out 50 miles and there's a big climb about you know I think 4,000 4, feet of climbing in the first 30 miles drop down the other side of the mountain make a turnaround at the 55 mile mark and come back over uh, not as much climbing on the second climb because you didn't descend that much but you've done around seven 8000 feet of climbing by the time you get back to where you started and you've gone around 111 miles And that is where the, and I mean, a a hard century, but not the hardest century for sure. Yeah, it did that in about five and a half hours. And I did great. I was, guys, the man. I, I actually took the Fondo division that I was entered in because I don't have a USAC rating and have no interest in getting one. Um, I was leading these guys a lot of the time. I was kind of putting the hurt on some of them just for the fun of it. And until the end of the second climb, I was just, you know, I, I was making things hard for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's when I stopped being the man. Um, <laughs> and, in fact, the women's lead group, the uh, the Cat123 women's lead group, they were like these pesky flies all around me. I could not get away from them. They. Um, and Were you swatting
3: actually,
1: them? I, I was not I was not doing any swatting. But they, um, you know, the three, there, there are three of them, you know, they're going to be uh, one, two, three at the end of the day together. The three of them going down are about the same speed as me by myself going down. And so I would try to get ahead of them to get out of, you know, get out of their hair they would try to get ahead of me to get out of my hair or to sit up or, or whatever, but we all were we all had this interest in being first, and you know, I wasn't trying to beat them, but you know, I wanted to get a fast time. And uh, the there is a uh course marshal in a car staying with them, and he starts yelling at me like often, and I am. You know, he's like, get away from them. You're affecting their race. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be near them at all. He's like, sit up. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I like, I am doing, I'm doing this. My, you know, I'm trying to get a fast time. I didn't see it as my responsibility to slow down on their behalf.
2: And was this a USAC official? Yes. But this was a Fonda, right?
1: There was a a Fondo division, which I was in, and there was a USAC division, Mm. which they were in. (sighs)
3: So,
1: anyway, eventually, (laughs) on the downhill, I gapped them, and I caught up with some other guys who I think were also in the USAC division. I don't know. It, It was very confusing, but, you know, they were not his responsibility, got away, and... You know it, it and you know that was that but back to the final four miles of the race
2: are you still it, it, the man at this point or are you in touch with the man I
1: know the 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 lead group of about three they they gapped me and so they are they start the climb without me
2: the men have left
1: the men the fastest fondo men have left and I am at the base of the format mi- of this four mile climb this 12 mile average or 12 percent average climb for Ooh. four miles
2: that's like mount washington by myself
1: i am a paperboy guru by the time i finish this thing and you know you know, start the race as the man no longer the man by you know the final big climb and that final final climb unmanned me I just (laughs) was dying there, and everyone else was too. Ninety, you know, I would say ninety-eight percent of us were just struggling to get up that at all. And I am—I'm just weaving back and forth, back and forth. You know, every time I swerve left, I look over my left shoulder to make sure that no cars are coming, Mm -hmm. so that I can do another one. When a car is coming, I'm back on the shoulder of the road, just. Doing my best to stay upright until the car gets past me and then it's back to paper just up and there are people who are walking, uh, oh. people who had been ahead of me the whole day, and it is just too hard and it's 94 degrees outside. <laughs> it was just hmm. so rough. but I made it. and my reward for making it to the top was the guy who'd been driving that car all day. He comes up to me, and he gave me the worst kind of apology. He gave me a sorry but. You know those, right? Oh, I hate those. Where someone says, sorry butt, and then they go on to lecture you over what they have in their head for, I, I don't know, it felt like— For your know,
2: perceived so, sins yeah, you know, for of seven. riding hard on an event that you paid to be in. Yeah, you
1: know, for—so that went on and on and on. So I got a sorry butt apology, and I took fifth in my category which was the most predictable thing in the world in fact i did predict it before the lease i uh, before the race i told lisa i said i took fifth in my category at crusher i took fifth in my category at leadville you watch i will take fifth today too and i did
2: Hmm. i'm still surprised i mean the the (laughs) odds are actually sort of against that you know if you understand math at all and i don't but never minding that you know still cheers Yeah,
1: the, and I was I was happy with that. I mean, it meant I got a cool finisher's medal. Uh, in fact, what I'm going to call the coolest finisher's medal, it looks like a uh, kind of a skull made out of bicycle parts, you know, uh, cassette rings and things like that. And also, it has a bottle opener built right in. So how cool of a finisher medal is that? Mm-hmm. that and I- only... F- 14 out of 50 of us in my category finished at all. The other 35 DNF'd because that final four miles, it was just too much.
2: Well, I... I I mean, I've never heard (laughs) of an event with that low a finishing rate for, for recreational riders. I mean... You know, it's it's one thing if people like drop out of a crit that they've been dropped in or, you know, a a road race where something. But I mean, so when people quit the Fondo, they haven't finished this climb. What are they doing? What, you know, what? I think they turn around
1: and and ride back to where their cars are. Um, Because it it is a mountaintop finish. And the rule of the race was, and for this guy to get permission to use this road, it had to be with the guarantee that you did not turn around and go down on your bike. It is too steep. And they were, uh, you know, there were legal reasons they did not want riders going down with rim brakes in particular uh, and blowing them off. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, uh, you know, calling it the Punisher, not a bad name for this race. I was going to
0: say, Utah has a corner on great names for races. The Punisher. I mean, that's a great one. The Crusher and the Tusher, Yeah. And now, the Punisher, this was in Park City, right? Uh,
1: this actually is in a little town called Eden, Utah.
0: Eden, near Park City? I, th- I thought I saw a Park City connection here somewhere. Anyway.
1: Close to Park City. Close okay. to Park City. It actually goes up uh, the mountaintop finishes on Powder Mountain. Um, and so it's a little, it's, uh, it's in a different corner, closer to Ogden than to Park City, mm-hmm. but uh, just a beautiful, tiny, little uh, rural town. Um, lots of Lots of tries happen in the area because there is uh, just you know it, it's well suited for that I mean, with a nice reservoir and a good fl- uh, you know some good flat roads to do some uh, try and Xterra type uh, races on. Mm-hmm. And this this was I mean it was an interesting thing to do to have to turn uh, you know to turn a cadence at like thirty. Was just you know very very difficult, yeah. and I should point out my wife the hammer, she too was the seventh overall fondo finisher, and the only woman to finish the fondo category, which meant that she got a check for hundred fifty dollars, which paid for our Airbnb hmm.
2: Bonus. score.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: So. and so there was there was a hurt me course and a don't hurt me course. Right, I, I take it you did the hurt me course.
1: I did, but, yeah. you know, the both the Hurt Me and the Don't Hurt Me course, the, the the Hurt Me course had to go up and over Monte Cristo and then turn around and come back. And so, you know, 100 and, 115 miles. The Don't Hurt Me course had to go to the top of Monte Cristo and then come back down, which made it so that there was one fewer climbs, but you still have to do the Powder Mountain climb, that mm-hmm. four-mile, 12% monstrosity so the the don't hurt me course is poorly named (laughs) it's just don't hurt me quite as much right hurt me hurt
2: me a little bit less
1: yeah hurt me just a tiny bit less but first year for this race um obviously uh, you know maybe maybe something needs to be done to make it a little bit more finishable um if if you could ride down the mountain um putting that really hard climb at the beginning instead of the end of the race might make this thing a little bit more completable for most people. But for me, it was a truly interesting test. I uh, found myself more smoked at the end of it than I was at the end of the Leadville 100. My legs were completely shattered. Wow.
2: Wow. So, okay, yeah. that's interesting. You know, one well, maybe- solid
1: ou- I mean, a solid hour going at a tw- up a 12% grade. Yeah. That's just, I mean, I never had to get off my bike, but that was only because I kind of made a point out of it for some reason. Do
0: you have compact mm. or what, what's your gearing like on that thing? Oh,
1: <sighs> a fifty-two eleven.
2: Well. So, <laughs> okay. That's the 50, high gear. What What's so, the low gear? Yeah. What's the oh, low I gear?
0: I don't know. Whatever it comes with. Probably 36. Right, Patrick? He probably has yeah. a semi compact. Wrong. Yeah.
1: Wrong. I know you guys. You guys have a million different chain rings and cassettes. I have what the bike came with. I, I'm like most people. I I take what the bike came with and I ride with
0: it. They sell them, you know, chain rings. I know,
2: I know, and I cassettes. Know. You can buy different ones, and they have them but in bike also, shops.
1: But they also come with them. And if you don't buy them, you can use the ones that you have. <laughs> so
2: Except for when they're I'm more normal, inappropriate. You guys.
1: <laughs> I know, I know, and if. If I were like you guys, I would have a whole bike shop's worth of different rings and cassettes. But I'm like most people. I have a bike, and I have a set of wheels, and I have a cassette, and I have a, you know, a set of chain rings. And that's what I have.
2: But you've got – you said the third yeah. bay of your garage is nothing but bikes. There must have been something you could have swapped out with. Like a mountain bike, you mean? Maybe. <laughs> or a gravel bike or you know cross bike something else that might have had a bigger oh never mind. Well, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah possibly. But I just I ride what I have. And I don't switch things around. I don't move things. I just I ride what I have. Hmm. It works for me. I got to the top. I was fifth. That's true. You got fifth. I,
2: I'm I no. yeah, this is not a point of uh of criticism, <laughs> Who are we to I mean, say? You know.
1: I'm this would be an interesting. This is actually an interesting.
2: But you might have been fourth if you've listened to me.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I would have had to be twenty minutes faster to to be to be fourth. There was a gap. You There's don't know how good gap.
2: my advice is.
1: Oh, I thought your advice <laughs> was to you uh, to be more of a, a fidgeter and twiddler with gears. But I'm, I I think that it would be interesting to hear from our listeners. Whether they are more like you guys who are constantly changing out different gear ratios and cassettes and chain rings and wheels or whether they're more like me where you have a – your road bike has a set of wheels and you have a set of chain rings and a
0: cassette, which is more common. I want to hear. Leave well, us a comment. Let us know. Look, I, if you went into my garage right now, Fatty, you wouldn't be blown away. You wouldn't go, well, look at all the options you have. But I, I have—I I feel like I had just enough stuff to get me through most situations. So for that mm. situation, for the one you were in, God, what I'd really like to have, although I don't, is a micro compact. Be perfect for that race. Forty-eight, thirty-two. 32 Praxis makes it beautiful. Be a beautiful setup. Put a 32 on the back. You got one-to-one. That'd be excellent. Do I have that? that would, no. Could I do something though that would help me get by? Yeah. I mean, typically, as an older man now, I ride a compact all the time, fifty thirty four. What the hell do nice. I need a fifty two eleven for? I don't. So I had fifty thirty four, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I have a couple either. of cassettes. I have a twelve twenty five, and I have a twelve twenty eight. And I'd have probably ridden for that event the fifty thirty four with a twelve twenty eight, and that'd have been better at least. But I do have. I I, I did
1: think after the race, that what I ought to have done, and I asked the promoter if this would be okay, if this would be, at least did the Fondo division, okay to do, to swap out, to jump onto my mountain bike for that final four miles, where I have the XX1 group, and just, you know, ride, you know, get into a low gear, and stand up and ride. Who knows? Mm. So. But that that's sort of assuming that I will ever do that race again. And that is not an answered question quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> Even so, I mean, it, it was an intense day, and you know, I got what I came out of, uh, what I went in for, which was a challenge to see whether I could do a a road that I would heard was very challenging and difficult. And I wanted to see if I could do it. And it turns out, yeah, I could struggle up it. So enough of that Mm -hmm. and i think that that's a good time for us to take a quick break for a word for our sponsor and when we come back more of leadville (laughs) i should apologize in advance but i'm not going to a
2: couple great facts about leadville if you're new to the family of course we welcome you out here thanks for being part of the 2017 blueprint for athletes leadville 100 Began back in 1983. That was the run by Ken Clover, who was determined to bring Leadville back from the brink. The Leadville 100 mountain bike was added 11 years later. We've been talking about Health IQ and how they are helping people to source better rates on life insurance. Recently, they updated their site with new insurers and the ability to serve more people. They've got special rates for cyclists, of course, and runners and triathletes, but also vegans and other health conscious people now. We've mentioned they have quizzes, and these aren't just for fun. If you score elite on a quiz for a specific lifestyle, that can earn you a further discount on your life insurance. They've also replaced BMI with waist-to-hip ratio, which is a far better predictor of cardiovascular disease when it comes to athletes. Additionally, they replace the LDL to HDL ratio with triglyceride to HDL ratio for people on low-carb or paleo diets because that's a better predictor of cholesterol health. Amazingly, they will not take into account one incidence in a family history if you are otherwise healthy. It's like a get-out-of-jail card. In other words, if you one person in your family has had cancer or diabetes, they won't ding you for it. Finally, they can also get better rates for those with runner's heart or hypertension. Check them out at healthiq.com paceline.
1: We're back and guys, you should just ignore me from now on when I say that I'm done talking about Leadville because you know that that is forever not true. I, but this that time, I feel like I have a justifiable reason. That is, the day after the Leadville 100 went, you know, a few weeks ago, I went over to Floyd's of Leadville to talk with Floyd Landis and Dave Zabriskie. I knew that they had done the uh, Leadville 100, they had lined up, I had actually seen them on the course. I wanted to ask him how their day had gone. It was a fun conversation, and they were pretty exhausted. They were packing. There were a lot of people moving, so there's some noise in the background. And their race report wasn't exactly what you'd expect from two former top pros, like at all. Let's give it a listen. We're in the glorious headquarters of Floyd's of Leadville. Here with we're good now. We're going Dave Zabriskie. Oh, we've
3: been going for a while. All right. What <laughs> you say out loud? Oh yeah. How are you doing, Floyd? Pretty well. I feel better than I did yesterday after that ride, but um, yeah, got me motivated. I think I'm ready to go do some training. Absolutely,
4: uh, Dave. <laughs> Dave, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I slept uh, really, really well, and I woke up uh, feeling nice and calm. So I'm ready prepared to do this podcast. A few minutes ago you were saying you weren't feeling so great
1: and you've had you've had a rough season. Uh, there is I'm not in the season. <laughs> For me it's a season. You've done a couple of the races that I've been at. You you did the uh, Crusher and the Treasure and you did the Vision Relay. I mean you were a sight to behold at the at the Vision Relay. I mean I saw you at the beginning of stage three and then you were just gone
4: yeah i was uh i mean that's a road bike event so it's not uh for me uh my body's a little more efficient on a road bike and i can uh, play with momentum more i'm doing things like the tusher and uh leadville there's no uh i mean you have to really grind it out you can't uh really hide or do anything like the vision thing i can get super arrow and and there's rest in between, and even those 24 hours, it's a different kind of event. And I did that as a favor to my fireman friend, Jack Nosko,
1: so we could get the W. Good guys, and that's a fun race, but I do want to talk about Leadville. So a couple of days ago, we were in Periodic Brewery, the three of us, and I was asking you, and unfortunately not on tape, uh, whether you guys were going to do the Leadville 100, and I got a pretty definitive answer. And that answer was what, Floyd?
3: We can't be held to conversations that happen in breweries, but <laughs> Dave, uh, his, at that point, he said he was 90, 10, not going to do it. Right. I, d- I think we said we definitely weren't going to do it, if I remember correctly, but um, I t- yeah, I talked to the guys at Lifetime six months ago, and they said they'd save spots for us. But, I, you know, we didn't <laughs> put much planning into it, but yeah, we suffered a bit.
1: So tell me about your day. I'm inter- I, I saw both of you at this at the starting line, um, and then about a half mile later, and I did not see you again. What what was your day like, uh, riding slash racing the Leadville 100?
4: Yeah, it was pretty fun. I mean, we stuck together all day. Um, we bought jackets at the thrift store in town. So uh, unlike a cycling jacket, it had uh, pockets in the frontal area. Uh-huh. So on the start line, we were able to keep our hands warm, which is crucial uh, for a cycling event such as this. There was multiple people we were passing just in the first couple of kilometers, shaking so bad they couldn't even pedal or like keep their bike stable. So oh, yeah. uh, we were uh, warm, and then those jackets were such a good deal. We donated them to the, you know, the spectators out
1: there. So someone got some souvenirs.
3: Yeah. Very well, nice. I mean, we once it once it warmed up. <clears throat> we yeah. Got rid of him, but Dave obviously Dave was concerned. His main concern the day before was about being warm, keeping his frontal area warm. Yeah, but his then, hands. Uh,
4: <clears throat> yeah, we stuck together. We weren't on uh, we weren't on super duper cross country bikes. We were on more of a like a fun, almost an enduro bike. So, uh, what were you riding? What were you? It guys was riding? on the Spot Mayhem twenty seven five plus bikes. Nice.
3: Yeah, they were great. I mean, on the
4: downhill we had a huge, huge advantage, but yeah, downhills we were having lots of fun. <laughs> But on the uphill is the lockout on those things. They have something interesting in the rear triangle with the this leaf spring, but there's zero bob when you're climbing on those. So. Nice. Was, they were
3: great. I think the point is bikes. it wasn't the bike's fault. Yeah, not the bike. <laughs> the outcome was uh, more of a uh, result of uh, a lack of planning.
4: I'd never – I mean, I've always uh, been coming down Columbine when the other – like the masses are walking up, and yeah. uh, Floyd and I, we were right there and. With the masses like uh walking, like we hiked three miles to the top of that thing, <laughs> it was and we were getting
1: delirious with the altitude and uh yeah, but we carried on and it was pretty cool so it I mean that's a way different experience I mean I've seen you at uh when you were in a skin suit racing the Leadville 100, like making a serious a serious go of it and yesterday I you were out i wouldn't say that <laughs> okay well i mean compared compared to people like me you know where if if i can get under nine hours at this race you know i feel like i've done something really serious yeah. And you've been way ahead of that and so this this year yesterday you were at a pace where you were with the folks who were riding uh 11 hours you were with my stepson who finished it at 11 and a half hours wearing his reese's peanut butter cup jersey
3: yeah, we right. were all, we were impressed. He was still going for it at the top there. And you, you know how it is at the top of Combine, man. It's not, it's a death march. But we, <laughs> Dave and I stopped a few, well, I stopped and Dave would wait for me, lay down a few times. It was actually pretty effective. I'd feel good for like 15 minutes and then I'd just want to sit down. <laughs> it's
1: kind of cool being out with a different, with a different crowd though. Oh, yeah, obviously a lot more, mm-hmm. uh, a lot more conversation going on. Yeah, yeah, A lot more uh, sort of like. Support of each other. Right?
3: Yeah, but it, I gotta be honest, it was impressive because I've never really written in that part of it. But yeah. those people have jobs and they've been training. I mean, they—that's a hard thing to finish. Very, very hard thing to finish. How much training have you been?
1: Have you done toward this, Floyd? I mean, were you serious when you know Tuesday you were like, "We're not going to do it," and then Wednesday you're like, "I guess we're going to do it." Was it me who convinced you? I, yeah, I'd it, like you to can take have credit. The credit. For that.
3: Yeah, you can have the credit for that. <laughs> but. <laughs> I mean, we trained a little. We got the business that we're working on, so it takes a lot of time. And so that's that was my sort of my point with being out there with all those guys that have full-time jobs and still train for this thing. I mean, it, it takes a lot of work. We yeah. did, we, obviously, we didn't train enough, but, but you know what? I'm glad we did it. And it reminded me that I I do like riding mountain bikes, and I do like the crowd. It's just... Got to get a little bit better fitness before I try that again.
1: So, are you thinking of doing a little bit more racing?
3: Uh, I'll be non-committal on that. Well, I'll just say no. How about that? We'll just change our mind later. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that has worked before. <laughs> when did you guys? Uh, when did you guys pull the plug? I noticed that you did not finish.
4: Yeah, we made it up to the turnaround point at Columbine, came down to Twin Lakes. I made it all the way up to Columbine on just a uh, like a half a bar. Like I didn't eat really much. Yeah, that's all I ate. Yeah.
1: How much do you eat when you're doing a, a, a normal race? Like
4: Yeah, well the the energy expenditure has changed, like uh racing the tour and things. You have to eat every hour, every half hour mm-hmm. because you're burning the candles so hot, like but uh something like this where it's just a long endurance and you're not really at like you're not really putting out a lot of energy. Like, you're just kind of at a steady state. So you are in that kind of more fat-burning zone than sugar-burning all the time. So it's just the difference over the years. Racing the Tour, you're eating all the time. And racing this kind of thing, it's been an adjustment. You don't need to. Like, if I was to eat as much as I ate at the Tour, I would get sick feeling. I'd probably throw
1: up. Let's talk a little bit about Floyd's of Leadville.
3: Yeah, but our main public uh, project at the moment is working on um, promoting our line of CBD products that we're selling through um, a lot of bike shops. And we sell it online, and we can ship it. And it's it's great for, you know, post-exercise recovery. Um,
1: Tell me what CBD is.
3: So this CBD, this is – we can sell this, you know – to other states and we can ship it because it's uh, hemp derived cbde it's a cannabidiol it's a it's a similar molecule to thc but it doesn't have a psychoactive effect and so people use it for uh, anti-inflammatory effect um, relaxation you well know, and a lot of endurance athletes have i mean honestly the ones i've known have uh, anxiety i would you call it exercise induced anxiety about everything about their weight about riding And when you're done with a ride or an exercise um, a day of exercising and you're tired it's something to just relax your mind is is very useful it's been helpful for us it helps you relax but it doesn't make you high is that what you're saying right it doesn't make it doesn't make you high it it, it's a relaxing feeling i mean there's some psychological effect to it but it's not like thc it's not like marijuana you wouldn't be worried about um performing normal functions on it doesn't have that effect Hmm. um it's a it's a more subtle effect it's it's popular among the people that already understand the value of, of THC and of marijuana products, but um, I think this can hit a broader audience because there's some people that are still <clears throat> see that as taboo or don't want to be involved with it, but um, this is after I doesn't have any THC in it. So,
1: like, what's next for Floyd's?
3: Um, I don't know. We're making it up as we go. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> Dave has some ideas. Dave, you got any ideas?
4: Uh, yeah. I think with these CBDs, we're going <clears> to... <throat> right now, we only have the 20 milligrams. We're going to make a lower dose of a 10 and then a higher dose of 60 milligrams. But this. And then we're gonna do our uh, other stuff, but yeah, a lot of it is just uh, making it up. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean, it, we have a we have a big plan, but it's a uh, yeah, it's a secret plan. Yeah, everything's a secret. Plan.
3: Everything's
1: a secret. That's his statement for the day. <laughs> but I mean, neither of you are food or drug scientists. How, where where did this come from? I mean,
3: this... wait, what makes you think that I was a professional cyclist? <laughs> That question has been uh, rendered moot. <laughs> you can strike it or leave it, but we're not going to answer it.
1: <laughs> no, but so uh, how do you do your how do you do your research? I am interested.
3: Well, so yeah, so our formulations and things like that we do um, we we work together on, and and a lot of the stuff that is related to CBD and and THC more specifically um, is. It's well known and generally accepted that there are, you know, broad, there's a um, you know, spectrum of medical benefits that this stuff has, but there's, there's just very little, you know, robust scientific studies that have been done because it's been illegal. And it's, I mean, there's, there are, there are a few, but there's just so much that's missing that right now that much of what's happening is just by trial and error. And so. You know, some people would be skeptical. I was skeptical at first about CBD, thinking you know it's maybe it's a placebo effect or something mm. related to marijuana. But but it's real, and and it has a you know it has a synergistic effect with marijuana products, THC products. But on its own, it's it's very effective. And so you know our our process for for making the formulations is just simple trial and error. Really, we're drug testers. <laughs> That's what we've always been, where I was at least.
4: Yeah, this stuff's been around for quite a while now. I mean, I think it was made most popular with the Charlotte's Web on CNN and the, trying to get the kids to calm down from the seizures and things. So we're just playing with our own formulations and trying to educate a different part of the public. I'm not familiar. Charlotte's Web. Yeah, that's just the CBD concentration that CNN did a special on a few
1: years ago. Are, are there any joint efforts between Floyd's of Leadville and D's 9's? No, they're two separate, <laughs> completely separate two entities. Completely separate. But yeah. there, there's a development idea for
3: you. It right? does seem like you could make something yeah. of
4: that. Maybe thing. down the road, there'll be an opportunity there. <laughs> so, I- anything new coming out from that? Yeah, I, I want, I was uh, toying with the idea of making a brown version <laughs> to hide skid marks, but that's about. <laughs> yeah, some of these ideas they just go nowhere.
1: Some things you don't test as well as others. (laughs) (laughs) That's odd. (laughs) (laughs) People don't like the brown formulation as much. (laughs) Seems like it would be a big hit. (laughs) Among certain It's Basically, a public admission. Now, Now, Floyd, you've lost quite a bit of weight.
3: I know. And so let's talk about this for a second. yeah. Yeah.
4: Floyd told me I should get really fat and lose a bunch of
3: weight. Because then it's something new to talk about. Because every cyclist I meet says that I look like I lost a bunch of weight, which is an insult to most people, or would be. But for whatever reason, cyclists have this, like, this obsession with this fixation on just um, some I don't know. skinniness. Yeah, like, they want to be inordinately skinny. And then if you're not, then you're fat. So, not to say I wasn't fat. I've enjoyed being fat. It was fun, but... Um, I've made a career of that. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point, yeah. I tried to take over for you, but... Yeah, so everybody I've met brought it up. Oh, you lost a bunch of weight. Which I think is kind of weird, don't you? I mean, you just asked it, so maybe you can answer. I,
1: I I would not bring that up with anyone who is not a cyclist. But you're right. We are we are obsessed with weight and we are perfectly comfortable in talking about not necessarily weight gain if you had picked up a bunch of weight.
3: Right. You know, I didn't bring that up last. Right, but when then you—that's so you. how it went. And then when I lost it, but then it was immediately a subject that was off, that was on the table. Like, okay, we can talk about. It. He's not fat anymore. <laughs> that makes me think that uh, they were quite impressed with my uh, ability to game. Well, up. well that, was, that was you, though. I
1: mean, you—you you were the one who, who gave me the who gave me the tweets. Like, who's fat now?
3: In the in I wasn't look I, picture. I'll take it back if it made if it in any way it came off as if I was offended when people said it. I just thought yeah. it was odd because I don't think that that's the way. I don't know. Maybe that's how it goes. I've never been fat and then got skinny before. So maybe that happens to everybody, but it seems like cyclists are obsessed. All right, guys. Well, Hey, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, man. Well, let's make it an annual thing. Maybe next year we'll finish. Maybe not or not start, but we'll be here one way or the other. Can I just finish the last 40 miles next year? That's what Dave was suggesting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that is my interview with Floyd and Dave. Um, a, A. I have I don't have a lot more to say other than I think it's an awesome idea for people who have been or are pro cyclists to either intentionally or not intentionally ride with the regular riders in a race. Uh, I mean Floyd and, and Dave both got a real sense of what, you know, their, what cycling fans, people who work for a living like Floyd observed but train and want to do something important and big and feels like something special. And they were out there with them, you know, walking with them on the hard parts and laying down as Floyd said, he wasn't kidding. They, you know, they laid down for a bit during this race and, and see what it is like for us normal guys to be out there doing these really tough races.
2: I, I really love that. Uh, in part, you know, I just I love the sensibility of both those guys. Uh, you know, they're not taking life too terribly seriously. Um, you know, or at least you know outwardly, I mean, if you're a business owner, you're certainly taking some stuff serious. But as somebody who has uh, gone to some charity rides and been there specifically, invited specifically to help certain riders, you know, make it to the finish, Uh, people who were big donors and it's like well let's let's make sure they have a good time let's make sure they can finish the 100 mile ride Uh, i've been at events you know where that was my role was to help be a shepherd and was aware that some of those two guys former teammates were paid to be there and to hobnob with the hoi polloi and the moment that we started They hit the jets and were gone and never hung out with, you know, any of the slower riders. So I've seen what the alternative is, and I really appreciate them for that. I really, really like that.
1: So an appeal to former pros, get fat, but keep riding (laughs) and just be friendly. You
2: know, I don't care if they get fat, just be friendly, hang out some good gosh. So, yeah. Fatty, there,
0: there was a lot of giggling and laughing uh, through the interview, um, sure. but deep down, these two are running a serious and controversial business, especially for people outside of Colorado who are not familiar with with the products. Did you get a sense of how that is, is going for them so far? Yeah. Uh, this is an
1: edit. What you heard is, you know, I, I try to keep it to 15 minutes, but... It is uh, what so what you are not hearing is that we had to stop the interview probably between five six times, while Floyd and or Dave had to leave and go out and talk with customers, and they took that very seriously. You know they were putting the business first. They were happy to talk with me, but and I let them know I was fine to do an edit later. But yeah, they you know this this building that they have it's full of their T-shirts and jerseys and their product and uh, you know there were a couple of times when I started going down R and D tracks that uh, they were you know looking at each other and you know kind of making signals and we, we took it out. I was being respectful. I didn't want to you know and I didn't want to tease our listeners with oh well you know we a- I asked this question and they weren't prepared to give a fully fleshed out answer there's a lot going on and this was a conversation about things that they currently have as opposed to r&d that they are you know they've got coming down the pike but they do have a lot coming up and they are clearly uh focused a lot more on business than on cycling right now Mm
0: -hmm. is any will any part of their business as far as you know be actual thc product Oh, that's
1: most of their business, actually. Their THC product is uh, available, you know, right now in dispensaries throughout Colorado. Oh, okay, and I okay. Did, yeah. Uh, the CBD stuff, that's available by mail order anywhere in the U.S., I believe, um, because it, it can be. the I believe marijuana-based products can only be sold— in the state for which they are created, in a dispensary. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of rules. And that uh, that might actually be an interesting second interview for me to pull – or second – a section of tape to pull out from this interview. It sounds like that is where more of their work is spent than anything else. Regulations are evolving quickly, and things are a little bit fluid as how things are – changing uh in colorado and throughout the u.s and its relation to the federal government and so forth it's tricky and you know legal work is a big part of this for them mm-hmm.
2: yeah. very cool i yeah. you know i know a lot of people have a lot of questions around cbd and just what it is and f- yeah for my part you know based on my experience i'll say that they're uh, their explanation of cbd uh was maybe not the the most complete or or helpful for people the big thing for for folks to understand is that yeah it's not psychoactive it's not an hallucinogen the way thc is mm. um but what's you know it's like okay so it's not that what is it well the big thing that uh is Uh, the reason why that compound came to my attention is that it's a really effective way to deal with nerve pain. And it allows people who experience, you know, nerve pain is a very specific uh, form of pain. You know, this is not like, you know, muscle cramps or anything else. Um, And uh, because of my spinal stenosis, I get just terrible nerve pain in my left shoulder. And so it was brought to my attention as a way to deal with that pain, but not resort uh, to opioids, you know, hmm. and, and if I'm on opioids, I can't write. Um, yeah. I can't do a lot. I can watch TV. Um, but I, I can't do a whole lot else. Um, whereas I've got a CBD cream. It's sitting on my desk right now, uh, that I can rub on my shoulder and while the people at the dispensary tell me it should be good for about 45 minutes of pain relief, it's actually only good for about 15, but it does actually relieve pain. I just have to keep putting it on. And, you know, it's an alternative that, you know, is way more effective than ibuprofen um, and still allows me to cogitate, you know, I can I can use this stuff and uh, not be incapacitated. And when it gets really bad, I've got... Uh, I've got edibles, you know, gummy bears with CBD mm-hmm. uh, that are also THC free. Um, and I've got some other stuff that mix in, mixes in THC for when the pain is just completely unbearable. And, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night and I'm ready to go to bed. Uh, That's
1: actually interesting to to know. I, I, I knew nothing about CBD. I mean, that was like the first I had heard of it as someone who lives essentially a pain free life. You know, I, you know, knock on wood totally understand that i'm fortunate to be this way and you know so yeah they gave me a bottle of their cbd pills i tried a couple thinking mostly was like well that might be a nice way to help me relax before i go to bed and i couldn't notice i couldn't tell any difference at all and so i kind of had written them off and you know set them aside sounds like i need to send this bottle to you <laughs> uh,
2: I, I would welcome it i mean the other all thing right. i would suggest is you know It's it's hard. It's hard to treat something that you don't have. Yeah. You know, suppose for an instant that you decided you were going to drive to L.A., you know, and you spent whatever that is in the car, 16 hours or something. And you got to L.A. and checked into your hotel and you were just completely on edge. And it's like, well, I'm not going to go have three drinks in the bar. But good lord, I I I need a little help here. Um, I'd like to get back to myself. That's when one of those CBD pills would be helpful to you.
1: Yeah. Yep. Well, that makes sense. That makes good sense. So yeah, it sounds like they may need to work a little bit on their messaging. But it sounds like uh, it you know, sounds like an interesting thing for certain people at certain times in certain ways. So
2: I know right. a guy they could hire to help with that. <laughs>
1: I wonder who that would be. <laughs> All right, guys, let's move on to the segment that we have very cleverly named news. <laughs>
2: <laughs> huh? Well, let's let's start with a, a, a couple of things that aren't quite as newsy, but harken back to uh, our last show. You know, we were talking about customer service uh, and, you know, how. Uh, how that plays out for people and, you know, right. what that does to their relationship uh, to the bike shop or the company in question. You know, one thing I mentioned to bring up that I didn't uh, was that it was just recently announced by pivot that they've now decided to offer a 10 year warranty on their bikes. It's the longest in the history for carbon fiber bikes. Nice. Um, and you know, good Lord, they, they deserve some recognition on that, you know, a 10 year warranty. Um, so, you know, yeah, I'm, I meant to bring that up. It's it's pretty, pretty stinking uh, cool. Um, I really like that those is. people. Yeah. So um, also, uh, you know how your seat broke at Leadville? Boy, do I. Um, I've, I figured you might remember it. What with it being a personal experience and all. Um, <laughs> a buddy of mine checked in and told me how his wife was on the start line of Leadville a couple of years ago. I I, I really, seriously, he was in, she, or she was in Leadville, uh, and someone behind her said, uh, don't panic, but the head of your seat post is coming loose. Um, so it was a, an aluminum head bonded to an aluminum seat post. But uh, yeah, that bond was failing. Uh, they wound up wrapping it with duct tape.
0: Mm-hmm oh uh, wow
2: yeah um i'm told it's it continued to wiggle but she uh she finished yeah
1: that is both impressive and pretty darn scary <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah
1: you had a follow-up as well too hottie
0: yeah quickly we had gerard vrooman on last week as an interview of course he's with open cycles and formerly with cervello uh, also on the RKP site, you'll see a review of the Open UP. Well, now there's a follow-up to the Open UP just announced by Open Cycles this week. It is just a, basically an updated version of that original adventure bike they came out with a couple of years. What they've done basically is just shaved 20, 70 grams off the bike. It now accepts flat mount brakes. Uh, two hm. new colors, blue and green, and a new price tag: 3,200. Uh, the original bike that does post mount. It stays in the open lineup at $2,600. So open, uh, continuing to move. They also have the upper, by the way, which is their lightest model of their adventure series. That's like a $4,500 frame set. But So now I have kind of three price points of an adventure gravel-type bike by Open Cycles available to you, and the, the lightest one is, is out right now. So congratulations to Mr. Vrooman and everyone at Open Cycles.
1: Yeah, very cool. And I have one last one, and that will be... Uh, save Argyle. Hashtag sa- save Argyle. Mm-hmm. Yes, you guys know, and I think everyone who follows uh, pro road cycling knows about the Cannondale pack team and the amazing success that they've had this year, and then the astonishing reversal they had last week, where a, a an unnamed, but perhaps known, uh, potential sponsor pulled out at the last second, kind of leaving. Them in a very scary place where uh, Vauters said to his team, essentially, "You're released from your contracts. You know, find jobs fast." Right? Some of them uh, have given uh, have given Vaters time, uh, which I think is incredibly generous because I mean, this is a this is a lit fuse for these guys, and time is of the essence. It's not like they can just hang out. At least most of them, right? They got to find teams fast. And the I, I would recommend to anyone check out the most recent episode of the Velo News podcast, which uh, has a good interview with Vatters on on this exact topic, as well as some you know some hints and possibilities of who might have been the company that uh, was looking good and then wasn't looking good. I don't know about the veracity of that, but lots of good backstory on that. But mm. today, uh, and by today, I mean Wednesday, August thirtieth, when we are recording, um, they uh, and you know whoever is with him, they launched an Indiegogo campaign that is giving uh, people an opportunity to essentially crowdfund part of the gap that they have for this uh, the seven seven million dollars gap they have between what they have that they have between what they have and what they need and it seems to be going really really well the idea behind it is basically you know contribute some money get a little perk like a coffee mug or a tote bag or something depending on how much you donate maybe a ride with the team if you donate a lot Um, but it has been going for just this afternoon so far and guys, in the time that we've been talking, in the forty-five minutes, more than ten thousand dollars has been raised. We were looking at about a hundred and seventy-eight thousand dollars before we started recording. Yeah, we're at a hundred and eighty-eight thousand now.
2: Yeah, another, uh, nearly another hundred backers have signed on in that amount of time. Yeah, I'm just floored. You so, know. This so is, people this are incredible. getting
1: behind this. Uh, I mean, I right now money's a little tight in the Nelson household, and so I I donated what I could. Yeah, I got a couple of coffee mugs out of this worth (laughs) but i uh i loved watching the tour this year and i love what vauders is doing in general with the sport Um, you know he's he's definitely bringing it to the people and using this crowdfunding idea i think is a good idea even if they weren't in financial straits so i'm stoked for it and i would you know recommend to our listeners do a search on you know on your Google or whatever social media platform you use on save Argyle hashtag save Argyle you'll find the indieGogo campaign no problem and you know donate 25 bucks or 100 bucks you know 50 bucks whatever you can afford and just be a part of this get a little invested in a team that is kind of awesome yeah. and the cool thing about this is that it is going to be matched up to two million dollars apparently. Uh, the Fairly uh, organization, and I don't know, maybe one of you guys know who Fairly is, uh, mm-hmm. but they're matching dollar for dollar, up to two million dollars. So, if we raise two million dollars, that becomes four million dollars, and the shortfall becomes only three, which is still a lot, but it's a
0: lot closer. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Cannondale, Pack, Slipstream Sports—you could be the the Green Bay Packers. Of cycling, you know, the Green Bay Packers for a long time relied on ticket holders and the community to be investors in the team. They were they were actually the the fan base were all actually owners of the team as well. So by making a contribution, buying tickets, season tickets, what have you, you also were invested in that team. You were a part owner in that team. You know, so look, I'm going to make a prediction here. I think this is going to work out. I think Cannondale Draypack is going to survive. Somebody's going to come up with the money. A new sponsor is going to come along. This crowdfunding will help. They've got momentum Mm -hmm. already. People love Voders, right? They had a great tour. I think it's going to work out for them in the end somehow. But the problem is this. It's a Band-Aid. Yeah. The problem is we have a real issue with the financing of this sport. Now, (laughs) like Olag Tinkoff or not, and he did spend a lot of money on his own team, he, is, he was one of the strong voices most recently to say, you got to restructure this sport. It is, it is working ass backwards right now. Too few people control all the money, and it's not getting spread around. And that's why these teams, that's why in a year from now or two years from now, after we save Cannondale, there's going to be another story just like this. Another team is going to be struggling to find a sponsor. The economy is going to tighten up a little bit, and they're going to be firing riders right and left. And we're yeah. going to be begging again for money.
2: Well, you so, know, I, I'll i say that I think this is a, a really great... I, I don't think it's just a Band-Aid. You know, there hasn't been a way to try to reap uh, revenue from the fans, you know, the way you do through ticket sales. There hasn't been a good vehicle for that. And this is a way to begin, you know, that sort of, uh, of you know, income stream... Uh, in a way that you know that just it hasn't existed in cycling up until now
0: but but you it's know. a weak weak lever patrick you're talking about taking a, a pbs approach where you go on tv and beg every quarter or so and for for How money long and been? you get and you pick up pennies the real revenue is in the tv revenues and what you may have to do is start charging people to watch this sport And that's where you're going to really start generating some revenue, not by walking around and begging and putting your Salvation Army can out every once in a while. That's no way to finance a $13, $15, $20 million team.
2: But but turning it into pay-per-view isn't going to solve the problem either because all that revenue will still go to ASO. The whole problem is that ASO gets all the the television revenue as it is. This is a way for teams, you know, like Slipstream, uh, to completely circumvent ASO and recognize their own revenue stream from their fans. I mean, you brought up PBS. How long has that been working for PBS? Well, they still need the government to help them
0: yeah, in a big way. Yeah.
2: But <laughs> they can't do it on they a...
0: can't do it on donations. We all know that. And just like that, just like. The, the same analogy would apply here. Cycling needs its governing body too to help them to get in there and reform the sport. Somebody at the ASO or UCI has to wake up and go, look, this business model, it's not really even a business, they're not running a business at all. They need to run it like a business. If they did, it probably survived. But this model they're working with clearly is not working because teams are collapsing every once in a while. And again, we have to go run. Oh, we're, we're, what's happening to this team? we got to save this team. Save the, let's save the sport. I mean, work on the finances of the sport, so so the teams get a bigger piece of the pie. That's clearly there. Yeah, it's, it's there. It just needs oh, yeah. to be spread around. Look, the NFL has revenue sharing. The NBA, they all they all spread the love around, so the athletes get paid, so the sport survives, so they can expand, so things can happen, so the sport can thrive. Cycling? I don't know what what is this. What are they doing? This is like a few people sitting on top of the, the piles of money.
2: Well, it's it's just like Wall Street. You know, the, the, the wolves are being watched by wolves. You know, that they, uh, they're being left to their own devices. And, you know, in that regard, the only thing that's ever going to change is unless a really strong organization uh, representing the teams comes forward and says, okay, no one's going to race the tour until you give up revenue or... Uh, a super strong riders union. But I think it's going to have to be the teams because the, you know the riders can't just ignore what their teams have to say. It's got to be the teams going to ASO and going, no one's going to ride the tour this year unless you cough up some money. And no one has been able to form uh, any sort of strong enough association uh, to get everybody together well enough to even float that idea.
1: Yeah, a good debate. I'm not going to enter it. <laughs> but I am going to make a couple of final points on this. Uh, first of all, do, whether it's a band aid or a business model, I think it's probably worth it. This time, go make a donation. Uh, if yeah. the team does not continue in 2018, your donation is going to be refunded. Okay, so you, your money's only going to be used if the team continues. So that's kind of cool. Second thing that I think is worth pointing out. Is that each of the perks, no matter what level you join in at $25, 50 whatever, the items, the the most valuable items that are included, in my opinion, I think do point at a reasonable or interesting part of a business model. And that is you get access to insider content and a member's section on the website. So the Green Bay Packers thing that you were talking about, I think actually, is amplified in this case. If the access to insider content is legit, that is, if there is one place and one place only that you can go to learn the you know what is really going on and uh, see uh, see videos like what Taylor Finney was doing in the for the tour de france see stuff like that from all the writers to maybe get a discount from coaching or advice from writers things like that in other words to get the kind of uh the kind of experience that i had with vauders this last summer then you've got something right then you've got not just fans but you've got raving committed loyal fans and i think that could be really interesting
0: yeah Agreed. Well, in the end the Packers needed uh needed an infusion of cash too. The the, the fans couldn't support them alone and they did need right. you know, uh, deep pockets to help them out and help them win Super Bowls. But I get it. I do I'm not telling people not to support this cause. Please support Cannondale dry pack, but please let's fix this sport before yep. more yep. teams end up in Vodder's position.
1: Yeah, it's not an either or it definitely needs to be a both. I I would agree with you there. Let's move on to the Paceline Picks, guys. Yeah. All right. You know, I think I'm going to go first, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I am picking an independent and new race again. And I found out about this race while I was laying on my side (laughs) today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the same guy, uh, you know, the the, the doctor, uh, the... uh, I, I, whatever the kind of doctor is, it starts with endo and, and just somethingologist, right? Um, he said, you know, the one who asked me if I could get him an inside track into getting into Leadville, he said, Hey, by the way, have you ever heard of the Coca Pelle 100? And I had not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a brand new race that is apparently going to be, uh, no, raced this, uh, the ninth. September 9th, so not this Saturday, but a week from Saturday, going from Westwater, uh, which is basically the Colorado border, to Moab on the Cocopelli Trail, 103 miles. And there's a few aid stations. There's a self-supported version. There's a single-speed version. I've ridden the Coca Cocopelli self-supported a number of times and have thought every time I do it, I wish someone would put a race on here. And now accidentally in a very weird way i found out that there's going to be one in about 10 days and i am seriously thinking about it uh i'd be interested if there is anyone i know any of our listeners who are also thinking about it because i gotta talk with someone and find out how for real this thing is uh It's you know they they have they uh, are advertising a hundred thousand dollar purse fifty thousand for men and women, which frankly seems unrealistic because the you only get that fifty thousand dollar purse if you hit a time which to me seems about an hour and a half beyond impossible. (laughs) I mean on I mean um, honestly it's it's not even remotely possible by the fastest pros I don't think. Um, that said, I mean, it's kind of an interesting gimmick and it's, it's kind of fun to see something new, something ambitious and something that has an audacious goal. Um, let's see if it happens. I may be doing one more race this guys. I thought, uh, this, this year, guys, I thought I was done for the season, but the season seems to keep pulling me back. So
2: <laughs> just when you thought you were
1: out. I never thought I was out. Oh, you, I you said
0: did. you said the name of that race was the colonoscopy one hundred. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, the CocaPelli one hundred. Sorry, sorry. Okay, I think there I got you it. Go. Now. Actually, there's standing records on that, 100. aren't there? Like I thought Rebecca went for Rebecca Rush went for the record there on on covering sure that trail did. yeah
1: she sure did but that was a different direction and that was for the complete distance of the Kokopelli trail which is 142 miles oh, okay. so right. Moab to Mack is the complete Kokopelli trail this is starting at Westwater to Moab so the opposite direction and starting about four, you know uh, not quite a third Uh, But just, you know, just uh, you you have a little bit more than two thirds of the Mm -hmm. race to do still. So it is it definitely would be different uh, against different records being set. Um, So it's 100 miles. Some of the hardest stuff is taken out. There are a lot of questions I have about this thing, but I'm going to be doing some investigating. You can count on that. So, Patrick, what you got?
2: So uh About two months ago, I want to say, uh, the folks um, at Pectimo sent me some kits to review. And I've been wearing them and, you know, trying them in different circumstances. On Monday, I was part of a group of four guys who got to ride in the Jenner Headlands as what is, uh, we hope, is going to become... Um, an occasional ride series that will happen in in, uh, an area that doesn't currently uh, permit cycling. And uh, if so, there will be a bike patrol and I could maybe be one of those patrollers. Anyway, the point being, it was um, a six hour day in the saddle, just unbelievably hot and hard and steep. Uh, In 20 miles, we climbed more than 4,000 feet, just just a crazy hard day. But I wore the Pactimo Summit Stratus 12-hour bib shorts. And yeah, they're $225, you know, it's not a cheap pair of bibs, but it's also not a $400 pair of bibs. And, you know, I'd liked them already, but on this occasion, they were really just what I needed. They really breathed well, it was super hot, I was ultra sweaty. Um, they, you know, they really wicked moisture off of me so that by the time I got back to the car, you know, I didn't have a sore butt, um, you know, things like that. I'm really impressed at how far this has, this company has come since the first time I encountered them at Interbike, I want to say 10 years ago now. Uh, it might even have been longer than that. Um, they've really come a long way. And this, uh, this pair of bibs, the Summit Stratus 12 hour bibs are, really impressive uh so that's something to watch for on rkp i'll be reviewing the pack team of stuff sometime soon
1: a good set of bibs should always be a paceline pick mm-hmm. yeah. and and when you said 225 my reaction was actually oh that's a good price um for something that you use as often as a good set of bibs 225 no longer feels like an outrageous amount to me because a good set of bibs you use, say, three times a week for two or three hours a day. And, you know, for longer rides, I don't know. You're going to get more than that kind of value, or than that price in value out of them. So, Agreed. I don't know, my, just my perspective. And Hottie, bring us home. What's your pick?
0: Well, for a number of years, way before getting in front of a microphone and pretending I had something to say, I drove <laughs> for Triple A. Yes, I was a tow truck driver. In Northern California, and I bailed out many a stranded motorist. Jump starts were, and I imagine still, the most popular call. Flat tires on the freeway—the one all of us tow guys hated the most. The way AAA worked back then was: it, the Auto Association, would contract with gas stations and repair shops that had tow trucks. The stranded motorists would call AAA, who in turn would call the nearest contractor to rescue the member. Contractors, the stations were paid a flat fee per call, whether that be a simple jump start or lockout or a full-on tow within five, with five miles of towing included. So the idea as a AAA tow truck driver, a contractor, was to get cars going and move on to the next call. Running more calls meant more money. Having to hook up a car cost the contractor more and meant the driver could not jump to the next call. So we, as tow truck drivers, became quite good at getting stalled cars moving again. Some stuff was easy. Flat tire, just change the flat. Locked keys in the car, grab that Slim Jim. Other stuff took some ingenuity. Engine not cranking over, beat on that starter with a hammer. And that actually worked, believe it or not. Car engine flooded with too much gas, hold the choke plate open to clear the excessive fuel. Volvos were notorious for conking out. The first thing you'd check for, is a dislodged vacuum hose push them pry on them plead with them do anything so you didn't have to tow the damn thing so it's a bit odd that i have never been one to carry stuff necessary for my own roadside repair that's in a car at least (laughs) Now, there's not much you can do with today's cars if they break down, but being ready to change a flat or deal with an overheat is not a bad idea. My motorized transportation is a 2000 Toyota 4Runner. It has 220,000 miles on it, has the original struts and shocks, and I've only replaced the rear brakes once. I don't care about cars, and my 4Runner shows it. That dirty green 4x4 could strand me at any moment, and there's little I could do to get get it moving again. But when it comes to bikes... I channel my inner tow truck driver I like to know if there is a problem that I can fix it well enough to get that bike home under my own power this of course is achieved by carrying enough stuff to cover the basics my seat bag is well stocked and my cycling wallet has a few tricks too in my seat bag quite obviously there's a tube I used to carry two all the time but with tubeless I feel confident with one unless conditions are rough and or remote There's two tire levers in there in case one breaks, two CO2 cartridges, and a headpiece. In my mountain bike seat bag, I have a spare derailleur hanger. Twice I've needed that spare. I also stash some rolled up duct tape that I once employed to secure a uh, loose uh, brake line. My multi-tool has Allen and Torx keys and a chain breaker. It goes in my pocket. In my cycling wallet, I have additional flat repair items, patches, a boot or two, a tubeless plug tool, and a valve core tool. I also have a valve extender, a spare mountain bike clique, and a cleat screw. Chain links, yes, both 10 and 11 speed. I also carry a handkerchief, mostly for sweat, but it doubles as a rag for a dirty job. It's a lot of stuff, but I look at other riders and I see them on a training ride with no seat bag and not much in their pockets and wonder what the hell they would do. I get it, they want to be lean and mean, but one day having just a tube and a CO2, it's not going to be enough, don't you think? I also carry a hand pump, a rare sight these days, especially in SoCal. But wouldn't you know it, the day I didn't pack it was the day I needed it. I was unloading my Turner Czar the other day, and when the back tire hit the ground, it was soft. Damn. I had pumped up the tires the morning of this ride, and the bike sat in the car all day, but somehow, by the time the afternoon ride rolled around, it had gone flat. But... Now that ride was in jeopardy. What to do? Options? Ah, Hit it with some CO2 and hope for the best. Or I could try some of that tow truck driver magic. I went for plan B by walking to a 76 station about three blocks away. You know, sometimes lawmakers do good things. And one law that was passed in California that required gas stations to provide water and air, that was a good law. Air as in compressed air, I should say. So I walked to the station and straight up to the pumps where a hose was coming out of the island. Of course, the problem with that hose is it is for car tires and their Hmm. beastly Schrader valves, which is why I also carry a Schrader to Presta adapter. The gas station attendants gathered round as I whipped out my wallet of tricks. I threaded on that little brass adapter to the valve stem and attached their state-mandated compressed air to my 29-inch wheel and squeezed the handle. That rush of air was like a breath of life into my afternoon ride. 27 PSI later, I was on <laughs> my way. No tow truck needed. So my paceline Line pick, dedicated to all the AAA tow truck drivers out there, is the Schrader to Presta
2: adapter. <laughs> Very cool.
1: Very cool. And that is going to be a wrap for this episode of the Paceline. Line. If you haven't been to iTunes to rate and review us, please do. In short... We just need you to give, this, give us the validation we so desperately crave. And if you already have, thanks. You're a sweetheart. You really are. For Hottie and Patrick, I'm Fatty, and this is The Pace
0: Line. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't use this gas station anymore. $3.99 a gallon for regular unleaded self-serve. Yes, I'll take my receipt, please. Thank you. Might be a Pace Line write